Hey, it is good to be back with you all. We just got back, Casey and I just got back from two weeks of vacation in California, and it is nice to be home. Uh, yeah, a few things coming on. Uh, you, heard, you heard Jack say a few of them, uh, but we have refreshed the offices, we refreshed the lobby, and we are refreshing the auditorium here in a few weeks. So later this summer, we're going to be out on the lawn, worshiping together out on the lawn while the uh, lobby, uh, while the auditorium is getting refreshed. And then this Friday night, uh, Aaron and her team are putting on a great opportunity for, uh, for family. So it's family night uh, here at Hillcrest, summer edition, summer picnic style. So if you're a family, I hope it's an opportunity to come and enjoy God's creation. Uh, or if you don't have any kids, that you just come and volunteer and serve our community in that way. So come and join and invite a family to join with you as we enjoy uh, just a family night. And like I said, we just got back from vacation. I enjoyed being in California, uh, but it was really nice to come home. One thing I didn't enjoy so much, it was the first Wednesday at about 10.30 in the morning, and I'm driving at a safe distance. We're going about 10 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour in this picture. It is just slammed. I just forgot how horrible the traffic was in California. It was brutal. And then they tease you. Do you see that like divider right there on the left side? You can pay some extra money to get, to get the uh, express lane there. So if you want to pay a little bit of money, just always looking for a way to squeeze some money. And then you just watch these cars just fly by you as you're putting around at 10 miles an hour in just a gridlock. It was brutal. And that wasn't like at traffic time. That was at 10.30 in the morning on a Wednesday. Ugh. It was so good to be back in Wisconsin. So nice to be home. And we are uh, continuing our summer series. You heard Jack say, we are in this summer series where we are asking the question, what is forming us? What, what are we being formed by? In the midst of our shifting landscape and all the things taking place, what, what anchors us both as individuals and as a community. And so we're just reflecting on uh, our doctrinal statement and some of the core ideas. And there are three primary issues that we feel like we've taken a narrow stance on. Um, and so we're just reflecting. We don't want the doors to Hillcrest to be narrowing the doors to heaven. And so that's primarily on the age of the earth, spiritual gifts, and end times. And so one of those topics is getting covered this morning. You are welcome. Gear up. Maybe you're here just for that topic to wonder, what is David going to talk about? But we've been wrestling. What, what is the core foundation of who we are and what we're being formed by? And we asked this question a few weeks ago. It comes from a book by A.W. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy. At the very beginning of his book, he opens with this. The most important thing about you, the first thing that comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. And I love this book because he writes an entire book on what you can know about God. His very first chapter, the incomprehensibility of God. That you can't just cover and put God in this box. Instead, this infinite being that we attempt to discover and know is incomprehensible. And then he begins to write a book about what you can know about God. So we are evaluating our lives. What are we being formed by? And, and we can tell a lot about that by how we spend our time, how we spend our resources, and, and how we use our gifts. What are we being formed by with our time, with our treasure, 
with our talent. And so this morning, we're pressing into another idea, another core idea that we're saying we think we're formed by our conviction about the creator of creation. And often when you hear this topic, what's the first question that comes into your mind? How long did it take, right? When, you, when we begin talking about the creator of creation, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? It's usually, how long did the process take? And, and, and the two primary positions and the nuances and myriads of others, but it feels like there's two primary positions people that hold to. The first literal seven days would be one primary position many hold to. The first literal seven days, a young earth perspective, creationism. And then, and then our scientific community feels like they've been evaluating uh, circumstances and perspective, and they feel like they've taken another position where they begin to say the days, they interpret it as the days are figurative. That creation took place over millions and billions or more years, theistic evolution. And so the question they're just just overcome by is how long did it take? And if you put these two people in the same room, I mean, just it's, I mean, if you think watching the Bucks play is entertaining, I mean, you put these two people in the same room, I mean, it's, it's wild. It's wild. And also sometimes just kind of depressing. That, that we begin fighting among these issues. Should we passionately discuss them? Absolutely. Do we care about them? Absolutely. And so I want to throw in a third conviction that I personally hold, but, but would love to wrestle with. It comes from a book called Genesis Unbound by a guy named Dr. John Selhammer. Taught at Ted's Trinity for a little bit. Taught at Bethel for a little bit. And, and so he holds a different perspective. But here's what I hope as we go through this this morning. I'm going to unpack a little bit of his perspective later. But here's what I'd love. If you can take that feeling, that feeling of how long did it take? And what's David going to say? Where's where's it going to come from? If you can take that in your hand and if you can just put it on the side. If you can hold that thought in your head. And just, just put it on the side. Because what I hope we get to wrestle with this morning a little bit, as much as we care about that, and do we want to discuss it? Yes. But what it often feels like is, we make that, we hold that issue so tightly, and we make it the litmus test that we put someone's spiritual health up against. That whether they hold our conviction on this particular issue, we make the litmus test of someone's faith. And, and we're asking, can you, can you see the big ideas of what Moses is telling us in Genesis and, and live more with this open hand. So what I hope we're going to do, you're going to take this issue. I know it's going to be hard. Are you feeling it? Can you even feel the, t- the, the anxiety in your heart rising? And you're just going to put that on the side. And then what we're going to do is we're going to read Genesis 1, chapter 1, the entire section. And you guys are thinking, don't we usually go through like two verses on a Sunday? We're going to read all 31 verses, and all we're asking is, what is Moses' big idea on why he starts Genesis this way? What's he really trying to accomplish? What are the big ideas of the text that should inform our life, inform the way we view this particular issue? So, we're continuing, and I hope this graphic becomes one that's familiar. 
Because what often feels true for our lives, we engage our minds with these awe-inspiring realities, but our heart isn't equally as engaged. I told you a story. I was driving through Yellowstone, and, uh, and, and you know, you see these people get out of their vehicles, right? And they go and take pictures of bears or elk. And it, it appears to me that their mind isn't equally engaged with their heart. Because it feels like they are unaware of what that bear could actually do or that buffalo could actually do should it choose to charge them. So our hope is we want to have an equally engaged mind that engages and touches our heart with these awe-inspiring realities. And I was struck by that this week while we were on vacation, while we were in California. I watched my kids just play in the ocean, and they were just delighting to play and run in the waves. And I was reminded just the awe they had of the ocean at something that I would take for granted sometimes. That I think in our lives, we hear about the creator of creation, and yet we don't often feel the awe or delight that comes with that reality. And so this morning, we want to press into that. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The opening line of Genesis is this big topic and I think worth wrestling with. But we believe it's this gift to us from God to invite us more deeply to ponder his creative works and stand in awe of his incomprehensibility. Pursue him more fully through his word and ideally more deeply experience uh, that we are his creation. So pray with me as we uh, jump into Genesis 1 this morning. God, you're so good. We thank you for your son. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus, that, that ransoms us and reconciles us to relationship with you. As we enter into Genesis this morning, Genesis 1, help us feel the weight that you are the creator of the creation. Help us be in awe of your incomprehensibility and that we are your special creation. Thank you, Jesus. For your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to do something we don't usually do, and that's read like an entire chapter. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Genesis 1, and we're just going to work through the big ideas of Moses. But as we start, I hope this is our conviction. I hope as we enter this conversation... This is our conviction. This is where we're coming from, that we believe the Bible, every word is from God, that that is our anchor point, that is our starting point, that the Bible in these original manuscripts, and where do they keep those? Anybody know? Is that in the, like the London Museum? And we don't have these anymore, right? But we have copies of copies of copies, and we believe those original manuscripts were without error. And this Bible, this inspired text, is actually meant for us to understand I think reading is like the worst. I hate reading. And yet God in his infinite wisdom decided to give us a book. And so we believe it's actually intended for us to be understood, for us to understand it. And then not only understood, but it has deep, profound meaning for our everyday experience. That it's understood and pursuing God's intent in these very words. So I'm going to read Genesis chapter 1, 1 to 31. Here we go. You guys ready? Man, it is good to be back. Does it feel good to be back? 
You guys didn't go anywhere. I was gone for two weeks. It feels great to be back. We went to the Evansville parade yesterday. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. You got the sewer guy driving down the street. You got the street sweeper driving down the street, and they're just chucking candy at my kids. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. And then we situated ourselves in a a perfect place, I think, because there was two older families on either side of us. And so each of them would keep bringing candy to my kids as well. It was like a win-win. Anyway, you guys are thinking, maybe we want Fred or Tyler back. They don't go on these rabbit trails. They just stick to the point, right? All right, Genesis 1. Here we go. 1 to 31. Open your Bible or it's in the bulletin. Follow along. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was about form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And as we read this, listen for themes, listen for what Moses is trying to develop and tease out as he's writing these words. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let there separate, let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation Plants that yield seed and fruit-bearing trees, fruit which there's from in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them for, be for the signs for the seasons. And for the days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. You guys are so glad. We just do like two verses usually. You guys are thinking, man, this is what a marathon. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to the kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruits. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given you every green plant for food. Man, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So we're going to explore three big ideas that Moses is introducing in Genesis chapter one that captures. So you guys are still with me, right? Is it still sitting over here in the seat pocket next to you or in the overhead bin? It's sitting right there. We're going to explore three big ideas that I think Moses is helping us capture as he begins this book. And the first one, no surprise that God created everything that is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the first four words in this book are incredible. In the beginning, God. And in Hebrew, there's no comma. These first four words are a profound reality for how Moses is intending us to shape our life. In the beginning, God. What, what, what is captured in that statement? Because again, it feels like there's this disconnect that exists between our minds being engaged and our hearts being awakened, right? When that buffalo was standing 10 feet from you, you, you know, it, when that bear is like just approaching you, if you actually understood what that bear could do, you, you don't want to go feed him a picnic basket, right? You, you want to like back away or scare him, right? Isn't this supposed to be, you're supposed to scare him, right, Jerry? That's what it is. You're supposed to like roar. Anyway. In the beginning, God, this reality shapes our worldview. This is a massive understanding because packaged within this, our conviction before the beginning, God was. That before time or space existed, there was an infinite divine being, God was. In the beginning, God. And a deep conviction that everything, everything, everything comes from God. You think your parents are great to you at Christmas. How much more is an infinite being out of nothing creates everything that exists? And he didn't just release the world into motion and step back. Instead, everything continues to revolve around this being. And our time our treasure, our talent, everything belongs to him. We get to be stewards of all the resources we've been entrusted. Everything belongs to him. And, and there comes a day we can't take this stuff with us. Everything belongs to God. That it all starts with him. God created everything that is. This is a picture of my daughter, Eden. So Eden was just born. She's six months old, came into the world. And like many kids... What usually happens when a baby cries? What does it want? It wants food. 
It's crying, and maybe it wants its diaper changed. And this is just how babies are, right? The world revolves around them. Everything, and, and suddenly, they, they suck in this orbit of other people, and they all start revolving around them. But from the baby's worldview, everything revolves around them. And then, ideally, as you grow up, you begin to see that that's not the case, but do you still know people that still live with that worldview that they think everything revolves around them? You probably don't have them for dinner over often, huh, right? They just, they kind of still think the world revolves around them. Right now, that's a healthy thing. The baby comes out, Eden's thinking the world revolves around her. But as she grows up, here's the idea. She begins to look around and see there's actually more to this world and begins wrestling with, well, how did all of this come to be? How do I actually exist here? And this conviction that there is a God begins to grow. But here's what tends to happen. Even as much as we gain that understanding, it still feels like we're pretty self-centered creatures. We still think the world revolves around us to some degree. My highs, my lows, my goods, my bads, the circumstances of my life, and, and we feel like this is pretty focused on us. Moses is trying to shatter that paradigm and actually give us an infinitely different picture that everything rallies and circles and revolves around God, that we find our being in him. That's how he starts his book that God created everything that is, and yet as we read the chapter, he does something fascinating. He actually begins to show us, ooh, I'm not going to point two yet. He created everything that is, and I'd love to give you a small glimpse of how, of how I'm gonna pull this topic out just for a second, of how this creation, uh, from Dr. John Selhammer's perspective, makes sense. So he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I want to give you just a little teaser of how it makes sense to me, right? So I'm going to pull this out. I know I told you not to think about it, but I'm going to pull it out, hold it again. And Dr. John Salmhammer says this about Genesis. Unlike the other two positions, they both think verse 1 is primarily a title or a description of what's to come in verses to follow. Verse 1 actually has a ton of meaning embedded in that one verse. That there is a ton of meaning, that that verse is pregnant with meaning. And so Dr. John Samhammer says this. He says that word beginning in English is often translated as the start. He says the Hebrew word that was selected actually is for an indefinite period of time. That that word beginning actually is a Hebrew word for an indefinite period of time. And that out of nothing, God creates all that is the heavens and the earth. He says is a Hebrew mirrorism. Because those words aren't heavens as in galaxies and earth as in planet earth, but rather it's land and sky. That it's a Hebrew mirrorism that speaks for everything. So that in the beginning, in some indefinite period of time, God created everything. That that first verse contains a massive amount of meaning that it identifies our creator and it gives us the origin of where this all comes from. But what's the question we want to know? Well, how long did it take? How, how long was that? Moses doesn't tell us. 
Instead, he's got a different purpose in mind. He begins to develop, verse 2, that that land that he references is now going to be given to his people. The promised land is now going to be given from God, this creator, from whom everything came to being, is now creating this land to give to his people. Here's what he says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. So not earth as in planet earth, but the land. Dr. John Salhammer says it's the land. It's the promised land that he's going to give to his people. And that land was without form and void. What does that mean? What does it mean that it was with... I love babies. Can we talk about this? Every time, every time. I'm going to do this every time. Some of you are like, David, stop talking about the babies. It embarrasses Megan. She doesn't want to have all the attention on her. We just love babies around here, right? It's a beautiful thing. Why? Why do we love babies? Man, life, right? Life. It's a beautiful thing. So after that indefinite period of time, the land was formless and void. It was tohu vavohu. It was an uninhabitable wasteland. Uninhabitable for whom? For the people God was going to create on day six. They could not live there. So in seven literal days, Dr. Salhammer says, the earth was formed in order to be prepared when God created Adam and Eve. So in six literal days, he made the land habitable for human beings. That the creator of creation created everything out of nothing, and then Moses has this other massive idea. He wants to tell us, that we are God's special creation. Here's what he says. He's gonna tell us in four ways how we are God's special creation. The first way, he talks about vegetation, animals, and then people. So first, vegetation, what does he say? He says, let's make vegetables according to their kind, each according to its kind on the earth. And so, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation according to their own kinds. And then the seeds, each to its own kind. What does he do for animals? He does the same thing for animals. So I thought about, so every once in a while, you guys are spared from a great illustration. I thought about bringing a piece of cabbage up here and then holding like a puppy and then talking about a person, but you were spared from that illustration. Instead, you just get to hear the words. Fish, birds, and other animals according to their kind. Here's what he says, all the way down in verse 21. So God created the great sea creatures according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. But what does he do for man? This is the audience participation point of the time. What does he do? Make them walk. Make them walk. I love Luke, yeah. Makes them walk. He makes them in their own image, his own image. Human beings now different than every other being planet on this planet. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Moses, in this first chapter, helps us see our lives revolve around God and we have a special place in his creation. The next way he talks, he talks about how he spoke these into being. What did he do for day one? And God said, let there be light. Day two, he said, let there be an expanse. Day three, he said, let there be waters. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. 
Day four, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky. Day five, he said, let the waters swarm with every kind of swarming thing that swarms. Day six, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. What does he say about man? Does he say, let there be people? No, what's he say? Ah, and God said, let us create man in the image after our likeness. There's this massive, earth-shattering, person-forming identity being marked here about the way Moses is setting up chapter one. And what do we love to pick about? What's the thing we love? What's the thing over here that may be sitting next to the seat back in front of you, right? And we love, we love the time. Instead, Moses has got some other, more important, bigger things. And do we love talking about this? This is a great thing to wrestle with. But Moses has some bigger ideas he wants to tell us about. Third, third way. How does he distinguish this creation and how special it is? No other does he talk about gender. The creation of man is male and female. No other created being talks about gender. And we're going to wrestle with, we're going to pick this up on August 1st. We're going to talk about the intimacy we crave. We're going to wrestle with human sexuality on August 1st and, and wrestle with the way God intended it. It's... it's uh, it's why these issues are so significant, right? That we are made in his image. It's why abortion is such a big deal to us, right? Because we're made in his image. That there's something special. Every time you interact with anyone on this planet and you look them in the eye, there's something unique about that other person sitting across from you as made in the image of God. It's why these things are such a big deal. Because this is how God designed life to work. Fourth, he says this, right? He created a male and female. And then fourth, he gives dominion. Humans are given dominion over God's creation. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply. Da, 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 da. 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created all that is, and we are his special creation, and that it's actually for our good to enjoy. Feels like sometimes, I don't know if this is true for you in Christianity, it's like, don't enjoy things. You just gotta suffer through. Man, just follow God. You can't enjoy any of these things in life. Instead, I think God actually gave us all of these things to enjoy, that we get to enjoy. Not a part of, not separate from the giver, but we get to enjoy. He made everything good for us. And we're just gonna fly through it really quickly, right? Day one, what happens? Stinking good. And God saw the light was good. And God saw that it was good. Day four, and God saw that it was good. Day five, and God saw that it was good. Day six, and God saw that it was good. And then what? Ah, and God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day that God actually created these things to be enjoyed. Maybe not so much traffic. That sounds like a terrible thing. But playing volleyball at headquarters, out there under the lights, 
Pretty special. Not separate from God's creation as the creator, but to enjoy as a reflection of his creation. We were at the Great Dane the other night. I don't know if you know this. Food is good. Food is pretty delicious. I had some, uh, some fried fish. Oh, fantastic. You guys love a fish fry? Oh, love it. Jeff is all about it. Went to the Great Dane. Fantastic. Casey always gets the pot pie. Uh, not so much, right? A good steak. God created this stuff for us to enjoy. He created it good. Our family, the relationships in our life. I do understand some of the most frustrating relationships are often in our closest family. And yet, the beauty of relationships, that God has wired us for relationships, and we get to enjoy him through these relationships. And then this picture, after two weeks of vacation, we didn't take a single picture of the six of us. This, this happened on the very last day before we came back. Oh, man, details, right? Details, they just escape you. So, so here's my hope. Here's what I want. As, as we talk about the creator of the creation, here is my hope. That, that, that we care about this issue, absolutely, but, but we don't fight about it. We don't keep it in this closed fist and make it the litmus test of people's spirituality. Instead, we wrestle with it appropriately. Is it a, is it a big deal? Absolutely. But we don't want to fight about it. Instead, I hope this week you get to engage your minds with the creator of creation. That God, out of nothing, created all that is. That if you sit and ponder that reality and how that would impact your life and how that should touch your heart. That God is completely set apart from the rest of creation. That he is independent and yet still interacts in our daily circumstances. That he deeply cares about his people. That there is a deep love for the circumstances even going on in your life. And the uniqueness of our role in all of this. The people you interact with, <laughs> when your spouse is driving you crazy, man, when your kids are driving you nuts, when you look at the circumstances and it just feels out of control, there's this sense that God is deeply involved in all of these circumstances. And we get to interact with beings that are made in his image. And I hope that actually touches your heart, but I hope you also get to spend some time specifically pressing into some heart awakening things where you get to enjoy God's creation, where you make a list. I don't know what your 4th of July holds this afternoon. It's gonna be a beautiful, what, 90 degrees? Humid, feels like 98. But I hope you get to make a list of things you enjoyed yesterday. And also, think about what you're gonna to get to do and enjoy today. Whether you're barbecuing with family and friends, just enjoying God's creation. And then, it's old school, but maybe you'd write a note to someone who's actually been put in your life and makes your life better, that you'd write them a note. And for those under 20, there's this thing called an envelope and you can buy those at the post office and you'd stick a, a handwritten letter in there and then you'd buy this thing called a stamp. And if you don't have 50 cents, I'd be happy to give you a stamp. But write a note to someone and tell them just the significance of what they mean in your life as placed there by God to enjoy him more fully. And then 
I think the start of Genesis invites us into this incredible story. Next week, we're going to talk about the sin we rationalize. We're going to talk about this foundational severing of the relationship. And so we believe Jesus helps reconcile us back to our creator. If you've never been baptized, we have a baptism class next Sunday. That is a beautiful reflection. Baptism becomes this beautiful outward expression of what's taking place in your life in terms of placing your faith in Jesus. But I hope, as we always do, we want to pray, watch, and then step into gospel opportunities every single day. We pray, believing God is actually at work in our community. We actually believe there is a divine creator that is intimately involved in all the details. And so we pray with anticipation that he's at work. And then we actually watch for his work. We actually look to see the creator's work all around us. And then we step in a conversation. So four categories. I was talking with our elders this week, four categories that might be helpful when we talk about these, this pray, watch lifestyle. That maybe right now in this pray, watch journey, you, you just are beginning to befriend someone that's yet to treasure Jesus. That you might not immediately jump into this conversation, right? We, we've talked about these two gaps that exist. That there's this infinite gap of the cross and yet there's this other trust gap that we get to step into. To be a Christian that someone has yet to know Jesus could identify and connect with, that we would befriend them. And then begin to encourage them to hear their story, to maybe have a meaningful conversation about their view of the creator of the creation. And then begin to model what our conviction is. Why we believe people matter because they're made in the image of God. And we begin to model that in their life. And then maybe then we would invite them or challenge them with more of our conviction about this creator that we believe created everything out of nothing. Maybe for you, it just needs to be befriending. Maybe another step of actually encouraging a deeper conversation, maybe being more invested in their life and modeling something different, or maybe inviting them into a different world view. Regardless, we have a heart to introduce people to this life-changing message of the gospel. So pray with me as we, as we wrap up our time of the creator of creation. God, you are so good. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our world, in our county. May we, may we be a little more aware of your presence as our creator. Help us see that a little bit more fully this week and live out with more confidence the awe of what it means that you are our creator. Thank you, Jesus, always for your glory, we pray. Amen.